All right. Great. Cool. Thank you, Lord. All right, good morning, everyone. My name is Merle Shank, one of the pastors here at Newport Church, and uh, I'm going to be preaching this morning, and we're going to have a great time. Uh, but first off, let's go ahead and start in prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come and, and uh, shine upon your word today. God, I ask that you would guide me, that you would use uh, my own lips, Father, uh, today for your purposes. Holy Spirit, we, we worship you, Jesus. We acknowledge your presence here, and we glorify you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are great and mighty, and we worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Cool. So I'm going to do something here that I had the privilege of, of uh, speaking at EMT this last weekend, and I started off with some declarations. So can we all stand up? Um, just a little bit of a reminder. I'm just going to pray and declare about who God is, and uh, just to bring, bring a little bit of Africa here to Pennsylvania this morning. Is that all right? All right, so Father, we thank you, God, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one like you. There is no one who can be compared to you. You reign in heaven on high. Lord, your glory is revealed throughout the earth. Father, we thank you, God, that there is no contesture over who you are, over your glory, over your power, over your might, over your will. God, we thank you, Lord, that your presence is ever growing in our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your heart is to see your kingdom come and to see your will be done here in Lidditz and Mannheim and Lancaster. God, as it is in heaven, we say yes, Lord, to that. We say yes, Lord, for your presence. We say yes, Lord, for your glory. We say yes, Lord, for your word to be shed abroad in our hearts, God. We declare that there is no other name that is higher than your name. There is no other power that is greater than your power. There is no other kingdom that is greater than your kingdom. And Father, we are so blessed to be a part of it. We are so blessed to be a part of your kingdom, God. Today, Lord, we honor you, we exalt you, we lift you high. Even in the summer, Lord, we bless your name, God. There is no one like you. Who can be compared to you? Lord, there is none like you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for just uh, humoring me there for a little bit. <laughs> Great. So this morning, uh, we did some balloon training, and I'm going to do a little bit of a promo here because we need more people to sign up. I'm just going to show you how easy it is, all right, to, uh, to do some balloon animals here. So, oops, that's going to fall. You want, a, you want a what? An eagle. All right, well, we're going to downsize that request a little bit. Okay. First, we're going to do a sword, which is also a cross. So all you have to do is make an N. Okay, just go like this and make an N, pinch it in the middle, and twist, okay? And you have a sword, but it's also the cross, all right? Then, yeah, so you, it's, it's good when you give children something, you, you can say, hey, here's a cross, Jesus loves you, all right? All right, not that you're a child, just, yeah. Okay, and if you have a little girl uh, in front of you, well, let's use red, you can do a heart as well. So this is how easy it is to please children at the church in the park, all right? So all you need to do is just take it, tie the ends together. Now, balloons are shaped by friction, 
a lot like our lives, which we're going to hear about in a second. That was spontaneous. I didn't plan that, but that's pretty good. All right. So balloons are shaped by friction. You know, there's a Greek word called thlipsis. We're going to look at it here in a second. Oops. And sometimes, hey, sometimes you come apart too, all right? Sorry. I guess maybe I should speak for myself. Sometimes I come apart too. I don't have it all together. Like somebody I was meeting with for coffee this week, doing like a mentorship meeting, and I totally got there late. And I said, look, I don't have it all together. So you love that sound right there? Got that? All right. So you just warm it up a little bit, and then you have a heart. Well, you warm it up a little longer, and then you have a heart. All right. Okay. So Lisa, since you, you're enjoying this so much. Okay, well, all right, there you go. All right, and you get to remind people that Jesus loves them. All right, here we go. The last one for this morning. Uh, so I want to encourage you to get involved with making kids happy. Uh, now, if you've ever tried to blow one of these up, you lose brain cells in doing it, okay? So we have pumps available for everyone you know, to do it. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you an eagle, but I'm going to give you a parrot, okay? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, y'all can come to the next uh, training for balloon animals, and we'll teach you how to do those and like one or two other ones. Who wants a monkey in a tree? Whose children would love having a monkey in a tree? Yeah? Okay. All right. I saw her. I'm sorry. I saw her hand up here first. Right. Yeah, show up next week. And I'll teach you how to make a monkey in a tree. Who else wants a parrot or a dog? All right. You want a parrot or a dog, sir? Dog? Okay. There you go. Would you do me a favor and just pass this down there? Thanks. All right. Good. Is that a good promo? Are you guys all going to show up for balloon animals now? <laughs> Great. All right. So um, this morning I want to preach and talk about Revealing the kingdom of God. The world around us is impacted and changed for the better as the increase of God's kingdom manifests in us and through us as we are led by the Holy Spirit. It is imperative that we reach our world. It is imperative that we impact our world. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And if you didn't get notes, I think there's some on the back table you can just lift your hand, and, and uh, one of the ushers will get you some notes there. Oh, the usher who's counting, sorry. All right. There's some notes on the back table there. All right, so Romans chapter 8, verse 19 to 21, it says, For creation waits eagerly with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What this means is that creation itself, the world itself, will be set free from bondage as you and as me, as we come and we walk in the glory of God. As we walk in the kingdom of God, the world itself will also experience freedom. Creation itself will be set free from the bondage that it was subjected to. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says this. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now, in Hebrew culture and also in uh, Roman culture at that time, um, you were born into a family. And th- this, this word sons means offspring, so it's for both men and women, right? Okay? But in, 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 cult- in the culture of that day, you were born into a family... And though you were an heir, we'll look at that in a, in, a, in a few seconds here. Though you were an heir, though you were part of the family, you were placed under a servant. A servant taught you, taught you the ways of the, of the household, taught you the industry and the business of the family. And as you grew up, you were treated pretty much like a servant. And some of the young children, some of my, my daughter would be like, amen. <laughs> Make me do the dishes and clean my room. <laughs> All right. So you were treated, uh, you were kind of in the realm of a servant. You were treated as a servant until a time of coming of age. And in Hebrew culture, that was called the bar mitzvah, which they still practice today, uh, which was around the age of 13. And actually, that was a statement, uh, and uh, there's, there's one for the ladies, too. I forget what it is. The bach mitzvah. Thank you. Yeah. And that was a coming of age for ladies. And that was around the age 13, 14 uh, that, that happened, but you were not considered fully mature until around age 20, which is when you would get married. So from that time, you would be, hey, you are now a man, or you are now officially a woman, but you would grow in maturity until you were around age 20, 21. At that point, you had to start paying the temple tax <laughs> as you know, when you would go to the temple. Before then, you could kind of get in free. Uh, but then at age 21, you had to start paying the temple tax because they were saying you are now like mature enough to have to take care of some of your own needs and pay the temple tax. In uh, the Roman culture of that time, you would have uh, somebody who was born into the family. So you would have somebody who was born in the family, and they would be uh, placed under a servant and placed under a tutor until they were about... Uh, until the time that was designated by their father, which would usually be late teen years. And at that point, they were considered then part of, uh, part of the decision-making responsibilities of the family until about age 25. They could not receive their inheritance until about age 25. So though they would own everything, though they would own inheritance that you know, they, their parents would, would uh, have for them, uh, they were not able to yet make uh, independent decisions till about age 25. That was just the culture of the day. All right, so um, if you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, this is uh, where we're going to pick up, and this is why I explained this. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, because Paul is speaking, and he's speaking to both the Hebrew and the Roman context, and he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything. 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date that is set by his father. And that's kind of what happens to us uh, and what happened to mankind in that we were first given the law. We were given, we, we were kind of under a slave. So the Hebrew uh, people, the, the Israelites, were given the law of Moses, and that was there to train them and to teach them right and wrong. And then God gave the Holy Spirit through Christ, who is then the seal of part of the maturity of the body of Christ, okay? Which is where we come back now to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, as many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, and that, that denotes maturity, what that means is that we grow in maturity, and as we are led by the Holy Spirit, he leads us into maturity. Jesus modeled what living life by the Holy Spirit looked like. He modeled the kingdom of God. He modeled its freedom to, his, to the disciples and to us. All right? He didn't try and set up a political kingdom. He had the opportunity when he, when he fed the 5,000 he had the opportunity to set up a political kingdom. They, it says that uh, they wanted to take him and make him king by force. Uh, you know, I think probably what was going through their minds is like, hey, there's 5,000 people here. He just fed them all, plus women and children, so there's more than 5,000 people. He just fed them all miraculously, and we can, this is like a standing army that we don't need to supply. We don't need a supply chain. You know, this is an amazing opportunity. And so they wanted to take him and make him king by force, but it says that he walked away. He says he walked away. Uh, later on, when Pilate was trying Jesus, uh, Jesus told Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my followers would fight. You see, we're not called to make a political kingdom in Christianity. We are called to influence kingdoms of this world because of our Christianity, because of our relationship with Jesus. And because of that, we are called to influence the kingdoms of this world. We're called to influence. We're not trying to make the kingdoms of this world into like some utopia, all right? We're called to live in two kingdoms. We live, of course, by the higher kingdom, which is God's kingdom and the, his law, but we're called to influence the kingdoms that we walk in, which is why we, we should be involved in politics, which is why we should be involved in reaching out in our world, because that is one of the ways that our world is affected. That's one of the ways that our world uh, is, is influenced is because of our involvement in media, our involvement in politics. There's a, a sermon that talks about the seven mountains, you know, which is how the things that shape the world that we live in, okay? Healthcare, media, business, uh, government. We need to be involved in those things, actively involved. We can't be, uh, we can't just kind of like step out and say, oh, I, I'm only in the kingdom of God. No, you're in the kingdom of God, but you are also an American citizen, or you are also a, you know, I mean, you probably are all here American citizens, you know. So, yeah. Even Horatius, man. Awesome. All right. Uh, even from Ghana, you know, but you're also a Ghanaian citizen, you know. So we're called, God has called us into these areas uh, to bring his kingdom into there, to influence the world with 
his, his principles, with his word, with his kingdom, by his Holy Spirit, we are called to impact our world. We're called to impact our world. Sorry, I didn't say that very clearly, but do you get that? We're called to impact our world because we serve Jesus, because we live in his kingdom, all right? Even though uh, Jesus was not trying to make a single political kingdom, you get that? Okay. All right. I will. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, a lot of times when we get involved in scenarios, when when we begin to want to influence, what happens is we can go through some buffeting. We can go through some challenges in life. And there is kind of like what I was doing with the balloon there. You know, we're shaped by friction. And there's a Greek word called thlipsis, okay? And this is not in your notes, but it's in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, that Jesus, uh, or Paul talks about this. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That word sufferings is the Greek word thlipsis. It says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit as uh, who he has given to us. John 16, verse 33, uses the same word. It says, and I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So that word tribulation, that word sufferings there, it's, it's the Greek word thlipsis. And I, lo- I just love to say that word thlipsis anyway. It, it, what it means is it's pressure. It's pressing. It's the pressure that makes diamonds. It's the pressure that makes value, you know, uh, such things as oil and coal. It's the pressure that brings out value. And a lot of times we don't mature until we walk through some pressure. So we're talking about growing up in, in, in the kingdom, revealing the kingdom, that even creation, even the world is longing, is, de- is desiring for you and for me to walk in maturity as sons of God, led by the Holy Spirit of God. The world is longing for that. And, and, but what happens is the way we get there many times is by walking through some pressure. And what it literally connotates, it's not pressure that kills you, it's pressure that makes you stronger. It's the pressure, it's the bench press of the Lord. Anyone lift weights in here? All right, awesome. Cool, I admire you. <laughs> you know, all right, but, but that's what it is. It's the bench press of God that God allows us to walk through some thlipsis in life, allows us to walk through some pressure in life that brings out strength in us. It builds our spiritual muscle, and it allows us to grow in strength. And that happens as we deal with other people. It happens as we deal in the spheres of society that we walk in. There's pushback. There's, you know, what Jesus said, there's, there's tribulation or there's suffering. But that, it's, it's pressure that is called to make you stronger. Anyone ever deal with pressure in your life? Okay. All right. Anyone never going to raise your hand? If I ask, okay, you know, like, but, but that's why there's things in life that God has called us to walk through. There's things in life that God allows us to walk through to build some spiritual muscle 
in our hearts and in our lives. And that's, that's that principle called philipsis. There's another scripture uh, here that I want to give to you that talks about the same thing. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says, now may the God of all grace, tell your neighbor, say all grace. So what that means is God had, you know, when Paul talks about grace and Peter talks about grace, when the the disciples were, what their understanding of grace was not just uh, like saving grace, amazing grace. It was part of it, but their understanding of grace was the power, the authority, and the equipping to do what you needed to do. So when he says the God of all grace, meaning that the God who has all supply, all authority, understands all things, the God who is fully equipped and empowered to accomplish everything that he did, desires to do. That sounds, you know, in our humanists, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, hey, sign me up to walk with him. You know, like, he, he's got it all in control. He, that, that means I'm not going to have to have any challenges because he's got it all under control. But this is what Peter's saying. He says this. He says that uh, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. Oh, man. Really? First Peter 5.10. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's what happens. That's how maturity happens. As we go through challenges, we walk through struggle, all right? We walk through struggle, but God meets us there, and he walks with us through it, all right? There's, there's things that we are trained in. There's maturity that happens as we walk through challenges, and it's the thlipsis of the Lord. It's the bench press of God. It's not meant to kill you. It's not meant to take you out, but it's there to help you grow. Yeah? And that's how we, that's how we walk in maturity. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, because we are, there, we're gonna, he's going to take us into sometimes some areas where we need some comforting. Yeah? He's the comforter. And yet, it's, in through, it's through that process, through that growth process, through that maturing process, that we affect the world around us. That God's kingdom comes around us, in us, and through us. Amen? So God desires for us to come into maturity as children. It's not just like you get saved and boom, you're automatically mature. He desires for us to come into maturity as his children. And that happens a lot of times through the challenges, through the struggles that we walk through. And that doesn't mean that God gives, you know, a certain, you know, I don't believe that God gives sickness. Why? Because the Bible says that Christ came that we may be healed, that by his stripes we are healed, right? So God doesn't give you something he came to save you from. But there is challenges that we walk through, and a lot of them has to do with walking in relationships with other people. There's challenges we walk through in life that builds our strength and builds spiritual muscle. Okay, what were the sufferings of the Lord? It wasn't just the cross. It was dealing with religious people. It was dealing with you know, people coming against him. It was dealing with people not having faith in his home, hometown, saying, you know, oh, you worked miracles over there. Do miracles here. You know, like there, there's, there's challenges that Jesus walked through. Those, that's the kind of suffering that, that, we are, that we walk through in the Lord. But 
as we grow and as we hear the earth, the world around us groaning for the kingdom of God, groaning for the revealing of his glory, and as we follow the Holy Spirit, we begin to impact the world around us. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. It says, of the, this is the promise of, of the Christ. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what this means is God's kingdom... It manifests, it comes in us and through us, and it will ever be increasing. The world may be getting more and more chaotic, okay? But in us, his kingdom will be ever increasing as we are led by the Holy Spirit. As we are led by the Holy Spirit. And that's God's design. And in fact, creation itself is longing for that, is longing for us to come to that place. Because as we, as we come to that place of walking with the Lord and walking in his kingdom, what happens is creation itself is delivered from the bondages that it was put under because of sin. So when people encounter us, they should be encountering the kingdom of God. They have the, the, when, when people encounter us, they have the opportunity to encounter Jesus they have the opportunity to encounter his kingdom, to encounter his life, to encounter his, uh, his grace. And, there, you know, there's something that, remi- that uh, this reminds me of. Because when people encounter us, it's not that they have to, like, follow us. It's that we get to tell them, you know, I heard one preacher say, you know, the kingdom of God and coming to Christ is just like one mouse telling another mouse where to find cheese. You know, <laughs> like, like it's, 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 it's not that, like... like uh, that people need to come and follow into form of me or fall, form of somebody else. What, what happens is it's, um, and it's really demonstrated in these two, in these two words. How many of you have ever heard, you know, talk, uh, preachings about grace and faith out of Ephesians chapter 2? Grace and faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, it says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in God, in Christ Jesus, for good works. So we're created for good works. We're created for the impacting of our world, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, um, Paul and and the, the people of that time, they understood what grace and faith meant. And we, honestly, until it was just discovered in some, some, uh, uh, early writings a little bit ago, we didn't, we didn't understand, uh, even in the theology world, we didn't understand what grace and faith meant or the relationship that was insinuated here. But I want to explain that. So grace, there was a specific relationship already established between grace and faith that the culture understood of the day. And this was it. Have you ever heard of like the Actors Guild? Like that's a guild that's still around today, right? Okay, back in those times, there was guilds for different industries. There was the, the Builders Guild. There was the Bakers Guild. There was the, you know, the Wheat Flour Farmers Guild. You know, not Wheat Flour, the, the Wheat Farmers Guild. You know, like, um, there was guilds for different 
uh, industries. And what would happen is because education was not uh, like it is today where everyone was generally educated, it was only the wealthy who were educated, okay? And so what would happen is that that word grace, that word charis, literally meant a patron or a benefactor. Have you ever heard of the, like a patron saint, okay? A patron or a benefactor. The word faith is the word pistis, and it means this. It means a client. And literally, this is the description that was, under, that was uh, in that relationship between grace and faith, was that grace was a benefactor. Grace was, was somebody who was much more powerful than you, could do much more than you, had relationships you didn't have, had authority you didn't have, had finance and resource you didn't have, and they would do something for you that you could not do yourself. And faith was the, the client. So literally, uh, this is why I talked about the guilds. What would happen is, is say the bakers were all, would, would all be getting together and they say, hey, we are tired of paying these high prices for wheat flour. We're going we're gonna to come together and we're going to decide that we are only going to pay this price for wheat flour. And the, the, the wheat farmers would come together and they'd be like, we can't, you know, we can't sell our wheat for that price. We can't, that, that's, that's, a horrible, that's a horrible price. For, we can't even survive for that. And so what would happen is every guild had a patron. Every guild had a benefactor. And because uh, who, who was generally wealthy in society, they had authority in society, they had government connections in society, and, and so what would happen is the benefactor of the wheat farmers, the wheat farmers would come to the benefactor and they say, we need you to intervene on our behalf. And we need you to go to the, the baker, the bakers, the baker's guild specifically, and the benefactor of the bakers. And we need you to work out a reasonable price that's going to work for us. And so the benefactor of the, the, um, of the Wheat Farmers Guild and the benefactor of the Baker's Guild would come together and they would work out and negotiate a price that would work. And it would be a win-win situation for both parties. Okay? Now, when a benefactor, when a charis, when someone of grace would do that for you as, and you were their client, you were the one who was benefiting from that, what was expected is they were doing something for you that you had no way to do yourself. Because of their relationships, their place in society, and their, their finance, their resource, they could, they could negotiate on your behalf. If, you know, imagine if you were just a farmer and you grew up just farming. Your dad was a farmer. Your grandpa was a farmer. And there wasn't general education at that time. That's all you knew. You didn't understand the circles of government. You didn't understand how to impact, you know, uh, how to stand for yourself and fight for yourself in courts. And it wasn't like today where you, you, know, you have uh, guaranteed representation you know, simply because you're a citizen. No, it was, it was all about who you knew back then. And so you, you would, in, in of yourself, you would have no way to influ influence the price of flour that bakers would buy. And so you would go to your benefactor and you'd say, hey, I need you to negotiate on my, on my behalf. The benefactor said, I would, I'll, I'll do that, all right? But, but um, 
I want you to become my client. And what that, what that meant is when somebody did something for you that you had no way to do, to do for yourself, that you had no resource, no connection, no ability to do for yourself, it means you became faithful to that benefactor. And when you would see them walking in the street, you'd be like, hey, everybody, listen up. This is what this person did for me. This is how this person intervened for me. This is the change. Man, we were going to go under as a farm. We were going to go under as a farm, or we were going to go under as a, as a bakery, you know? And, but this person stepped in, and they bailed us out. They did for us what we had no ability to do for ourselves. And you, what was expected culturally is that you would declare the praises of the patron. You would declare the praises of the benefactor. And if you saw his children in the street, and they needed help, you were there. You would help them. That's what was expected. Okay? That's what was expected. And that's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about that we are saved uh, uh, by grace through faith, through our decision, through our commitment to our benefactor who does something for us that we could never do for ourselves, what was expected culturally at that time is that when you would declare their praise, the reason you were declaring their praise was so that others around might also want them to become their benefactor. And so, and isn't that what, what we do? That we declare the praises of Christ who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. What we could never do for ourselves, what we lacked power to do for ourselves, and he has done it for us. But the expectation, what, when Paul was talking about grace and faith, this, this is all wrapped up in that relationship. See, this relationship between grace and faith, these two words and these two principles already existed culturally. It doesn't necessarily here today. Uh, in our cultures, but it already existed culturally. So when Paul references this, everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. Like, oh, Christ is our patron. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and, and therefore, it's our responsibility in, when we have come and de declared, you know, taken advantage of what he has done for us, it's our responsibility to tell others about him so that they might want to make him their patron too. Yeah? All right, so that's the understanding here that Paul is talking about and, and uh, with grace and faith. So as we, as we want to influence society, it takes us committing to Christ. It takes us committing to being led by his spirit. And, you know, like when Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it, he taught us to pray this. He said, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom... God's heart is that his kingdom influences the kingdoms of this world. All right? God's heart is that his kingdom, as long as we're here, hey, you know, if the end comes and it's over and it's all wrapped up, okay, fine, <laughs> great. But until then, we have a responsibility to impact our society. Jesus, otherwise, Jesus would not have taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done as it, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So, you know, and we, we understand that too. It's interesting 
This is a bit of a side note, but in the book of Revelations, it talks about the kingdoms of the world coming and acknowledging Christ. You know, inferring that there are kingdoms that, that uh, are coming to Christ, and then there, there are kingdoms that have not accepted Christ in the book of Revelation. Anyway, that's a whole different topic. But uh, when we talk about discipling, we talk about impacting regions, talking about discipling nations, Okay. But let's back up here a little bit. What would it look like? I just want you to imagine with me here. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come in Elm, Pennsylvania? What would that look like? Like, what would, what would naturally happen if that would, ha- you know, if that would happen? What would, what, would, what would look like? What would that look like if the kingdom of God would come in Mannheim? Or the kingdom of God would come in Lidditz? Like, what would that look like? Think practically. What would that look like? What, what, would, what would the unemployment rate be? If the kingdom of God came, what would the unemployment rate be? Yeah? What would... Um, what, would uh, what would homelessness look like? Would there be homelessness if the kingdom of God would come? What would be homeless? Uh, what would happen to homelessness? What would happen to marital conflict and divorce if the kingdom of God would come? Quite literally, like what, what would happen? What would happen? What would happen to emotional brokenness if the kingdom of God would come, if the kingdom of God would be here present? Because we preach that it is, right? We preach that, hey, yeah, every, everywhere that, the, that we go and we declare his, his praise, we extend his reign, right? All right? So God's heart is that, and, and, you know, we can take that to what would Pennsylvania look like? <laughs> you know, what would Lancaster County look like? What would Pennsylvania look like if the kingdom of God would come? What, what, what? You know, of course, we know that, that God wants everyone to come to him, okay? But what, out of God's heart for mankind, what would that look like? What is our vision? And really, this is the question that, we're, that I'm getting to, is what is our vision for our region? What is our vision for our area? What is our vision? And if we, if we were called into city council, if we were called into the town council, and, and they said, hey, what, what is, you know, you, you churches there, you guys, you know, you do a lot of work in the community. What is really, what are you aiming at? Like, what, is, what are you looking for? What are, what are you looking for to happen? Could we articulate what God's heart is for this area, for this region? You know? And what would that, what would that Im- imply? How do we need to get involved? So, you know, there's a homeless shelter that's starting in Mannheim. Well, why? Just because we, oh, it's a good thing to do? No, we want to take care of seeing the kingdom of God come to Mannheim, which means that nobody is sleeping on the streets. Yeah? We're doing a food pantry for, for the school, for Mannheim Central School. Like, why? Well, because it's a good thing to do? No, because it's part of seeing the kingdom of God come. If you're a businessman you know, or businesswoman, are you just doing your business to make money? Well, that's part of it. 
we want you to be cash flush, you know, right? We, you don't do business to lose money, hopefully, you know. But like, but like, what are you doing? You you are improving society. You are potentially providing jobs for people, which impacts families and gives families income. Like that's part of your mandate and call from God to influence and impact our region. Amen? If you're involved in health care, like that's, that's a kingdom call. That's part of seeing the kingdom of God come in our region, in our area. Yes, we believe in supernatural divine miracles that happen, but, but we, also, we also want to heal the sick, which part of that is divine miracle working power of God, but part of that is taking care of those who are sick and helping them heal. Yeah, and there's a lot of studies that are out there today that that uh, that show that yes, there. You know, believe me, I believe in instantaneous miracles. But there's also a lot of studies that show that people who receive medical attention and medical care, who pray and are prayed and are prayed for, get uh, have much quicker response times. In and uh, seeing their healing manifest. Even, even though they're being taken care of by doctors, the people of faith, people who are getting prayer, they're receiving a lot faster response times. Okay? That's part of the kingdom. Man, if you are in the nursing industry, if you're, in the, if you're a doctor or in, in that industry, man, be praying over people. You're seeing the kingdom come. This is influencing our world. This is influencing our world. My hope my hope today is to, is to inspire us to, to realize what we're doing as we're reaching out into our nation, reaching out into our area, reaching out into our towns, our cities. God has called you and mandated you and me to reach our areas, to reach our, our region for Jesus Christ. And part of that is evangelism, but part of that is seeing his kingdom come. What is his heart for people? What is his heart for families? What is his heart for those who are walking in brokenness? What is his heart, and how can we get involved? Yeah, because it's, it's part of our core, especially in the Dove International family, it's part of our core. One of our values is that the gospel compels us, number one, to send missionaries into unreached uh, and, and help those who are least able to help themselves. Jesus instructs us to take, care, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to those who have never heard it. Our mission is, is to reach the unreached areas of our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ by sending trained missionaries. And through church planning, together we can join with the body of Christ for unreached. And you see some scriptures there. So every one of us is called to be involved in missions. So I spent a lot of time talking about like here regionally. Uh, but you, can I tell you a secret after being involved in missions for, for a lot of years is that no matter how international you are, you go somewhere just to become local again. <laughs> you get that? Like, like even if you pack up and say, hey, we're going to go to Timbuktu, which is an actual place in Africa, all right? You know, we're going to go there. You go there to become local again. So God has called his kingdom to come his desires for his kingdom to come in local areas, all right? And so we, we're involved, we are to be involved, every one of us in the, in the body of Christ needs to be involved in missions. How? Some of us need to go. Some of you are called to go. But a lot of us are called to send, okay? But we're all called to be involved. 
We're all called to be involved in missions. The next part of, of value number 11, which is what we're talking about here this morning, is that, um, and this is not just in the context of missions, but this is in the context of our lives here as well, is we're also called to help the poor and the needy, those in prison, orphans and widows. This includes our, our reaching out to the poor locally, nationally, and internationally. When we help the, the poor, both materially and spiritually, we are lending to the Lord. As Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Matthew 25, verses 31 to, to 46 speaks about the sheep and the goats. And it says that in the end, that all the nations, in the end, at the end times, all the nations will be gathered together and God will uh, sit down on his throne and he'll sh- separate the sheep and the goats. And like Keith Green's song, for those of you who, who remember Keith Green, his, his song so emphatically points out is the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and did not do. Yeah? And so it's our, you know, we need to be involved in our region. We need to be involved in our area. James 1 verse 27 says, A religion is, that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in as much as we, we want to see the kingdom of God in us, where we gather on Sunday mornings and we worship God and we, we, we love, I mean, I, I'm an encounter person. I love to have encounters with the Lord. I love dreams and visions and prophetic words and prophetic pictures and I love all of that. But if it's not reaching our society, it's not producing what it's called to produce. All right? We are called to impact our world. We are called to impact our world. All right. So every person, every one of us needs to be involved somehow. And that's in relationships. That's in, you know, the business, the industry that you're in. You know, sometimes we came through a season in the church where it was like, you know, ministry was everything, you know, and like, oh, business, you know, business people, they're nothing. Like, you know, they're just there to, to, to fund it. No, tell your neighbor, say no. No, you have a kingdom mandate from God to impact the region. The business that you're doing the, the, is, is fulfilling a function that helps the society, helps alleviate poverty, it helps better the betterment of society, and it helps bring God's kingdom into our region. We need to be doing that as well as proclaiming who our benefactor is in hopes that others will want to make him their benefactor as well. Amen? It's our job. It's our call. It's our mandate from God to reach the world. All right? That's the declaration of the gospel, but it's also saying, hey, what would it look like if if the kingdom of God came to my city, to my region? What would it look like for the person who kind of looks like they're having a really rough time in life, walking down the street, what would it look like if the kingdom of God came to them? God, what, are you, what, what, can, what can I do? How can I help? What do you want me to do about this person walking down the street? And it's at that point, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. 
Because that's when doors open up and that's when miracles happen. More miracles happen, I'm convinced, that more, more miracles happen when we take this to the streets and we go outside of the church walls than, than uh, just, you know, when we pray up here in the front. We, you know, miracles do happen here. Backs get healed. But if, if you want to see some crazy stuff, do it outside the church. It's amazing. It's awkward. We dealt with that already, you know, like get past awkward. All right, and go for it. Amen? So this is our mandate. This is our call. God has called us to impact the world. The, the world is crying out for the kingdom of God. Creation is longing for the kingdom of God to be revealed in you and through you, in me and through me. Amen? Doesn't mean like we have all the answers. No, we, we still need to be led by the Holy Spirit because we don't, we don't always see it right. I know I don't have it all together either, <laughs> you know? I pop balloons too, you know. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And Lord, my heart in this message is not to see any condemnation, no guilt or shame. But Father, we thank you that you give us opportunities to reach into our world. You give us opportunities to impact those around us. And and Father, even when we work with mainly believers, God, what does your, your kingdom look like coming in that environment? Father, we, we thank you that you have a vision for, for us and for our lives and for our areas and for our businesses. And we ask that you would give us that vision. Give us that vision. Lord, help us in our decision making. Help us in when we need to, to uh, stand up for truth and stand up for righteousness and Father, we ask, Lord, that you would lead us in that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're, if you're here today and you have never actually taken the step to make Christ your patron, to, to come to Christ and give him your life, the gospel is this. And this is something that, um, that I do a lot of times in schools. Uh, and I kind of play the devil's advocate a, a little bit with it. But I, I ask people, you know, like a room full of this, and I, I won't do it to you because sometimes it, it can be very challenging for people. Uh, not that I'm afraid to challenge you, but I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> anyway, I ask them, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? And somebody will inevitably say, like, oh, it's the good news. All right, it's good news, right? Okay, yeah, that's what the term gospel means. But what is the gospel? Jesus died on the cross. Okay. All right, how is that? How is that good news? Why, why is that good news? If the gospel means good news, why is that good news? Because you're a sinner <laughs> and you need saved. You need Jesus to die on the cross for you. Like, well, that doesn't, that's, that's not the good, I don't know, that doesn't sound really good there. Like, what, you know, the good news is that I'm a sinner, like I'm wrong, you know, there's something wrong with me? Well, well yeah. <laughs> okay. And we begin to see a breakdown of our evangelism, you know, where evangelism has become telling people how bad they are, how wrong they are, instead of, instead of telling people God's heart for them. And so, and then we press it further. I say, well, why, why should I listen to you? You know, why, why? That's, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I need that. I'm, I'm happy with my life, you know. Win, and I tell them, I was like, win me to the Lord. I'm unsaved, I'm open, and I'm willing. But give me the gospel, 
and I push back, you know, uh, with some pretty interesting things sometimes, you know, and, and really challenge because, you know, what happens is, is we think we know the gospel. We think we know the gospel, and many times, uh, many times when it comes down to being pressed for it, we don't know what to say, and we don't know how to give it. So the gospel is this. The gospel is this, that, is that in the beginning, God reigned, and he ruled sovereignly. And he created the world. He created mankind. He created all the systems of the world, and they all worked together in perfect unity. And then Satan led a rebellion against God. And mankind, because of obeying Satan, we were tempted and obeyed Satan. Because of obeying Satan, we fell away from relationship with God because we sinned. We, 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 instead of obeying God, we obeyed Satan. And because of that, sin came in, and our relationship with the one who knew us and who knew why we existed was broken. But God, because of his great love for us through various times and various prophets throughout history, said, hey, sent, sent prophets saying, listen, I'm not letting you guys alone. But at some point in time, I'm going to step in and I'm going to make a way for this relationship to be restored. And Jesus came and he paid the price. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus stepped in and he paid the price for your sin and for my sin. The thing that separated us from God, separated us from the one who knows us, who knows why we exist, who knows who we are, the thing that separates us from from him, Jesus took care of by offering himself in our place. And he died on the cross and he rose again, but he did it so that you can come into relationship with your heavenly father. The one who knows you, he gets you, and he knows why you exist and what you're supposed to be doing. But you have to make him king, just like in the beginning. You have to make him the king of your life, and you have to give your life to him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. A lot of times when we talk about the gospel in the church, we tend to talk about how Jesus did, and we go into the sacrificial lamb and all these things, and that's all true. It's all right. But when we're sharing the gospel, we need to be able to share it quickly with people. Amen? All right? Because we're called to. We're called to be good business owners, good good industry leaders, and, you know, uh, get involved in government, get involved in society, but we're also called to carry the gospel there. Amen? So if you're here and and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would like to pray with you. And we're going to have prayer ministers up here in the front. If you have any prayer needs, uh, we would love to pray with you because we want to see the kingdom of God come in your life. We want to see the kingdom of God come in your life like never before. Is that good? Awesome. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church, to see the kingdom of God come in our lives and in our families and you know, to see God's vision for us take place and be transpired in our, in our lives. Amen? Can we stand together? So if you've never actually taken the step to give Jesus your life, I want to talk with you afterwards, and we have something to give you uh, as you do that. But we're going to close off today. Um, some of you heard I'm going on vacation right after this, and you're, you know, I was even, someone asked me this morning, like, hey, 
are you going to preach a short sermon because you're going on vacation after this? I was like, I don't know. I was thinking about that myself. You know, like, <laughs> all right. But the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to come and surrender our lives, calls us to get involved in the world around us, calls us, causes us, and calls us to reach out to those around us because of his love for those around us. Amen? Amen? So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would show us the open doors. We thank you, Jesus, that you rule and you reign in our hearts, that you are the Lord, you are the King. And God, today we come and we ask for vision for our area, for our region. Father, we ask for your pictures. We ask for your heart. Father, for what our families and the families on our street and the families in our, in our towns, in our home areas. Father, what is your heart for them? What is your heart, Father, for this area? We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have given us time to reach the lost. You have given us time to reach those who don't know you. Father, we thank you that it's not the end yet. And Father, until that time, we will stand and we will continue to pursue seeing your kingdom come as your government and as your peace ever grows in the world. Father, we thank you that you lead us by your Holy Spirit to these ends. And Father, we thank you that we can submit our hearts to you and our lives to you. In Jesus' name, we ask you to lead us. Amen. Amen.